Blog Talk Radio. Forgive me if I'm pronouncing the name wrong, but for 2019. 
So Maryland's getting a couple uh, has a couple nineteens to their belt already. And I'm glad you said that. We're starting to see twenty or I don't say twenty nineteens, but we're starting to see a trend where kids commit early. Um, they're committing like I, you know, at the end of their sophomore year, going into their junior year. Um, it's it's an interesting trend to say the least. Um, because both me and you know that colleges offer based off of potential sometimes. Like so, I don't want to say it's a fake offer, but it's like one of them offers where we offer and kind of build a rapport with you right now, and then uh, we're going to see where this goes type offer. And not every offer is like that, but we do know that more offers are like that than you think. We've seen some we've seen some kids who were in the top 100 and still some of those offers that they had wasn't really like that. You know, we we heard from some college coaches and some sources, yeah, that offer isn't there anymore, but it's already reported and it's confirmed. So, saying all of that to say, these early commitments might be a little risky. Might be a little, might be a little risky. Might be a chance to take, you know, closing down your recruitment early. Yeah, no, it's actually it's really definitely a, a risk, and a you know, you know, kind of sort of a big chance that you're taking. You know, on say on on closing down or shutting down shop early, rather than waiting. You know, to later your later in your junior year or you know the beginning of your senior year or just ride it out to the end of your senior year. But it's definitely a chance because you know you never know who has improved. Who you know who else in your class has improved, and now the school the same schools the same two or three that you were really, really eyeing to recruit the kid who just came out of nowhere and had a crazy high school season or a crazy, you know, July. And now they that kid just went from three offers to 20. And those two or three schools that you had down on your list is now recruiting that kid every, and it might be the same position. You know, I've I've seen a I've seen a Big Ten school offer a girl after their freshman year. Actually, it might have been before their freshman year, and uh, you know this kid finishing the ESPN Top 100, but by the end of her sophomore year, that offer was taken back. Now, imagine if she commits her freshman year. Or in the middle of her sophomore year. That's, and I'm not I'm not one of them recruit tips pages or personalities because do what's best for you and whatever feels right. But I am gonna, I am gonna, you know, just forewarn y'all. It's not all nice in the women's in the women's basketball game. It's not, you know, there's some Nick Sabins. Uh, you know, some people might not get that analogy, 
But there are mass offering teams who just, you know, they offer. They offer. And then now there are those mid-major schools who – those are those mid-major schools who mass offer, and whoever takes the offer first, they'll take. But then it's those bigger schools who go on these offering sprees, and they might offer a kid who's not really um, – what's the politically correct term? I'm trying to secure our bag. Um, they might offer <laughs> a kid who's not all, who's not all the way there. She's not all the way developed yet. And – you know, they're offering because they that's what these colleges do. They offer, you know, groups of kids on AAU teams, you know, just just in case they might see potential or they might be trying to get on the good side of a, a recruit that they really want. It, it's a sad truth, and it happens. Trust me, it happens. But then that kid who took that offer, literally, they're, they're left, like, just out out here in the open. Because guess what? If you're holding up a, a scholarship that they really need, guess what they're going to tell you? Yeah, that offer, you can take something else if you want. Maybe, you know, are you sure this is the place you want to come? So going to be little subtle things. And then it's not going to be so subtle. But, you know. And that's not to say that, you know, that's what Maryland is going to do. I I wouldn't, you know, I haven't heard anything about doing anything like that. But it's it's just an interesting trend to see because um, kids are recruiting earlier. But there is also an uptick in teams telling their kids who committed and maybe been committed for a while, no, no more. Now, I'm actually, I'm actually, that actually smart. I thought in my head, sometimes, you know what I'm saying, a college can do themselves a disservice by telling a certain recruit, you know, hey, um, we know, we, you know, we offered you and, you know, you, you know, you, you know, you love us and we say we love you, but, uh, we kind of love us, you know, these, these two or three other kids better. You know, we're kind of going to need that, 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 that scholarship back. I think they can do this as a disservice by doing that because sometimes these schools have very bad time where, you know, they tell that to a kid that's, a, that's going to be a senior. You know, they wait late until – you know, the end of their kids, you know, saying junior summer, you know, wait until July to tell them, um, no, we're going to need that back. Now, you know, you're, letting, you're put in a position where that, that, that looks crazy because you're playing, not, you know, you're kind of playing with a kid's emotions and you're playing with a kid's future a little bit. And then on top of that, you kind of not a little bit. blackball yourself from a whole state, from wherever the state that kid is from. You, could, you know, you're running the risk of doing that. Well, you know, 
that's assuming that that state is in unison. Boy, I can tell you in club and grassroots basketball, not a lot of states were. Never mind. That's that is a whole different monster to tackle. But you know, um, it it's just weird to me. I mean, you know, obviously with with the kids I coach um, who have the luxury of having multiple offers, I just always warn them, like, look, things change. Like, people mess up. Like, and if you shut down your recruiting, those looks might not be the same if you're not that caliber of player. You know, obviously a a top 10 recruit can commit and decommit at any time and is – and they'll pick up the people that, that they told no right back. You know, maybe one of those people who got about three or four high, you know, mid-majors, and you like, eh, you're not, you, you're not, you don't have that same luxury because there's a lot of people fighting for those mid-major scholarships. But um, shout out to Maryland. They, they're doing a little something. They're, they're doing a little something on the trail. Um, obviously, honestly, Maryland has been on a roll for the last few years um, when it comes to the recruiting trail. Um, obviously, um, Destiny Slocum isn't with them anymore, but, man, that recruiting class that they bought in with Slocum, that recruiting class top to bottom was really good. Yes. Yes, it was very good, very good. If Slocum, you know, was just the the culmination of it all, like getting her, you know, you knew, okay, Maryland's going to be, you know, in the Final Four again for at least two out of the next four years just because of that kid alone. You know, not even missing uh, everything I, else they brought around her. She, she was actually a little bit of a surprise to me. Um not not that she was good. Obviously, you knew she was good. I just didn't think she was going to be that good as a freshman. I mean, and later in the season, she turned out to be the team. She carried the team. Obviously, I mean, she was like what the number seven overall recruit out of uh, out of um, Maryland. I mean, uh, out of high school. Um, yeah. With me, I just was. I'm gonna say skeptical, but I thought it would be more of a an adjustment time that she had adjusting um, from playing school, you know, high school basketball in Idaho, and um, and you know, coming to the Big Ten and going against uh, those players. I mean, she still took her bumps and bruises, but she had more she had more ups than she had downs. So, you know, <laughs> um, but. Maryland has been doing their thing. I mean, in 2016, um, Destiny Slocum signing that was that was stellar. Um, I, I think they had like a top ten recruiting class. They had a top ten recruiting class um, in 2016, and they went. They lost. They lost some of those recruits to transfers. Which, listen, guys, I know people are like. You need to have some loyalty, one, one, one. The the reality of it is you're going to lose a few freshmen a year 
if you're a good team. You just are. Like because we're living in we're living in in a time and age where the kids who are good, I say about maybe half of the ESPN top twenty. You're looking at a lot of those kids are being divas and they get whatever they want. I mean that's that's a reality that we're gonna have to face. So when they get to college and they're not playing right away, especially if you if coaches promise them playing time up front. What do you expect? I mean, in Maryland, they brought in six recruits. Six recruits. They brought in Slocum, they brought in Jenna, they brought in Charles, uh who else was in that class? Um, last year coming in, uh, Blair Watson, um, uh, the girl from New Jersey, Blair. That yeah, that's Blair Watson. Uh, Stephanie Jones from Maryland, the in-state recruit, and um, it was another girl from Georgia. She was in the top 100 kid. Um, 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 Sarah Myers. They bought in Sarah Myers, the 5'10 guard from Georgia. She played for uh, the EYBL team in Georgia. But that's his people. Come on. I mean, I, you can expect – if you bring in – in basketball, if you bring in a six-person recruiting class, you can expect two – at least two of those people to transfer. At least. Um, oh, of course. But I mean, no. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, you know. And then, um, you know, in the 2017 class, they only had one commit, um, and that was uh, uh, that was the Shanice Lewis kid from a uh, Country Day, Miami Country Day. Um, and, and she, you know, you got if you pay attention to prep sport, prep women's hoops, she was on the national stage a lot. Um, and, and I think they rated her as like the number ten overall point guard. She was in the ESPN top one hundred. Um, so obviously they replaced that need in Destiny Slocum um, with her transfer. But you know Maryland has been doing their thing as far as recruiting. Their, their twenty eighteen class is shaping up to be good as well. They're they're getting started with their twenty nineteen team. Uh, so you know. They got a lot coming in. I guess you you can follow the ballot that says, you know, it's no it's no rebuilding. It's just reloading. Oh, sure. You know, I, and Brenda, Brenda Freeze, you know, um, ran to a lot of you know with all you know all those transfers she had right after the season. You know, she ran to you know questions like you know what's you know what's going on and. Why are they leaving it? But you know, because it was, a, you know, I think people, we know, well now it's looking like people made it more than, you know, more of it than what it really was. But Brenda Freeze has always either, you know, been excellent. Either that or either people made it more than it was, or Brenda Freeze and that Maryland PR team is just really, really good at getting the story going. Because I'm sorry, but. You're telling me the the freshman of the year, the national freshman of the year, wants to leave? I mean, I understand wanting to be close to home, but where did Destiny Slocum even transfer to? Because that that was the story. 
that was the story. Is Destiny Slocum wanted to be closer to home? Right. Did she go to Oregon State? She went to Oregon State. Yeah, yeah. I she have, did go to Oregon I State, have, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yep. Yeah. Actually, she did. Tell me the thing about it. I mean, okay, that's that's closer to Idaho, but okay. All right, I'm, I'm gonna leave it there. I'm I'm gonna say that I'm gonna say that I don't know anybody who has that much success early on that that press. Now, obviously, there's um. There's other factors that can come into play, and I, I didn't read up on the Destiny Slocum situation. Um, ostensibly, after she announced um, she was transferring, so you know, I don't know if there's anybody sick, sick or not, or you want to be closer to your, you know, whatever. But I don't know a lot of people who has that type of success early on and gets used like that as a true freshman. And just say, hey, yeah, I know we we have something good going on here. We not we might not beat the Buckeyes this year again, but you know we got something to build on. You know, getting used seems like I'm a start so, here. I'm a dip. <laughs> I mean, no, but that brings up. Another another topic because there's been so many over the last. You know, we talk about trends in the NCAA. You know, so on the women's side, there's been a lot of transfers over the past couple of years. Yeah, there's I mean, been, look at know, Ohio State. You know, over the past few years. It, it, it's it's a real trend. I mean, I know a lot of people have written think pieces about it. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. If you don't like where you're at, leave. You have that freedom. And I don't think I don't think players should be penalized for it. Um you know, obviously the sitting out a year thing is that's not even really a big thing. It's not like you lose a year of eligibility. Obviously you want to play, but that's just another year for you to to really get a degree. A lot of these transfers, that extra year that they have, they're getting a master's degree. <laughs> like, you know, like it's, it's not that big of a deal. So, you know, a lot of people want to persecute the kids for, for leaving. No, if you're not happy, leave. Like here, Lewis and Tori McCoy, obviously I'm a Buckeyes fan. So, uh, Ohio State pulled in a really good recruiting class, and guess what happened? Two of the best players from that 2016 uh, recruiting class left. They left. I mean, and probably for a good reason, too. I mean, Kier Lewis, one of the best high school players that I've ever seen up close in person. I'm I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. And Tori McCoy, she, she was good. She was actually starting. But guess what? Both of those players, after their first year, they say, yeah, I'm out. I'm good. So, do you persecute those kids? No, do what's best for you. It's a career. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, the kids have to do what's best for them. And I would be, I would be selfish. So I was like, oh, 
that's weak. You leaving because you didn't get no play time or you, your play time wasn't like you wanted it to be. Nah. That's fine. That's fine, baby girl. Do you be blessed? And I, I feel like that should be everybody's approach. But, and dare I say this, Eric? I feel like some college coaches have that AAU basketball mindset. Whereas like, I lose a kid, oh, you going to play over there, and now you hate that coach, or, you know, <laughs> uh, you hate that I coach. Mean, no, I mean, it's, it's definitely that, though. I, like, not with all coaches. I wouldn't say the whole NCAA is like that or whatever, but, no, you definitely, you know, you know, you definitely, some coaches do feel like that, you know, when, you know, they transfer, oh, yo, okay, you, you, you left me, you know, it's not even, you know, left me for them, it's just that the fact that you left me, you know, and, you know, we uh-huh. made a joke about it last week with the, you know, with the Azura Stevens, um, trans, you know, whoever transferred from Duke to UConn, you know, and Gino making his comments and everything like that, you know, I, you know, that, that's real, you know, y'all, even though we joked about it, that might be for that reason alone. That that UConn do game will be a game to watch, and I will be waiting to see what Geno says after that win. Because I think UConn's gonna win. I really, I'm, 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 you, I'm here for yeah, come on, you know, you you know UConn, you know Geno and his ego would never ever allow them to lose that game. But yeah, I mean, what what did? What did uh, Joanne McCauley say? She said something to the effect of, like, when have you known Connecticut to take transfers or something like that? And then, you know, she went down the list of transfers. They took. She, she said they took, like, two. Yeah, so Gino doesn't take a lot of transfers, but he did. And one of them happened to be your, your, your player who wasn't happy there. Remind you, this is a this is a girl that they're talking about as the number one overall prospect in the, in the WNBA. They're saying she's they're saying that she's gonna be she's in the discussion of being the number one overall pick. Why would she stay with Duke when she could go to Connecticut? Hmm. Train with an Olympic uh, strength and conditioning coach, an Olympic gold medalist, an 11-time champion, or be here and lose with y'all. I'm sorry. If I got the option, now, me, I'm not a transfer person. I probably would never transfer. It it was a time in high school where our football team was losing. Um, And um, a rival school like, look, man, you should just transfer. You can play immediate. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, part part of me saying no is that I actually hate that school. I won't even mention it by name, but I hate that school. How much I hate it. <laughs> I was never going to play there. But the other part of it is, you know, I'm going to grind. I'm going to be competitive. But everybody's not cut like that. And, it's not, and that's not me being negative or throwing shade. Everybody's not cut like that where they just went, hey, I want to get the best competition. Because, I mean, Stevens was in the ACC. Who plays really good competition. But maybe it's something about your coaching. Maybe, you know what I'm saying, maybe coaches should look in, in the mirror first. 
But, hey, who am I? What do I know? I mean, you think about it. I mean, like, when you're saying that coaches, you know, coaches are prideful people, you know what I'm saying? And it's kind of hard to say, I'm not making excuses for them, whatever, whatever. But it's, it's just really almost a fact is that it's going to be hard to look in the mirror and say, dang, she really transferred because of me. Not, you know, um, playing time, not, you know, going home, being close to home or, you know, another situation. It's because of me. You know, maybe Joanne didn't, you know, her her system wasn't conducive for what she, you know, she was needed to improve or really show off everything she can do because she's a really a multi-faceted player. They're calling her the women ver- woman version of Kevin Durant. These are real-life comparisons by WNBA scouts. The Kevin Durant of women's basketball. I, I would be going to. I wouldn't want to stay at Duke. Duke is a is a story program, but let's talk about what they've done lately. That's it. I can't I can't think of anything of note to say. I mean, they make the tournament every year. But I mean, they've been to they went to the Sweet 16 in 2015. They've not been to an Elite Eight since 2013. They've not been to a Final Four since 06. Um, they've never won a championship. I think they were in the championship game in 06. Yeah, they were. They were. What What is really persuading <laughs> What is really persuading Azura Stevens to stay at Duke over Connecticut? Now, obviously, I'm not going to indicate that Gino did any type of tampering thing, but you kind of know how these things go. Somebody from Azura's camp or family or team, whatever you want to call it, reaches out to say, y'all want to – y'all interested? And then an assistant or, you know, staffer gets word, and then they say, I'm not saying we will take her if she is looking to transfer, but I am saying that if that were to happen, we would probably take her. And that's how it happens. So, obviously, you know, once she found out UConn would take her, why would she, why would she stay? That's ridiculous. Whatever. No, it's not ridiculous. I mean, it's about the best choice for you in your career. You know, you have a better chance at, you know, being a number one. If you're talking about as a potential number, being a potential number one pick, let's face the facts. You have a better chance of being a number one pick going to UConn rather than being at Duke. I mean, you know, are we forgetting that just, you know, a, um, the draft before last, Gino's three seniors were one, two, and three in that draft. Bree Stewart won. 
Mariah Jefferson 2, um, Morgan Tuck 3. Honestly. Who I else think can say that their, their seniors took up the first three spots in the draft? I think we're looking at a similar situation this year. It could be. It really could be. It really could be. Because really, I think Stevens probably will end up being the number one pick. I really think she's so. Just so she's just so good. And the publicity that she's going to get um, is going to be hard to ignore her. As being um, as as not being that number one prospect, I think the talent and the athleticism, everything she has, I, I think that puts her above Asia Wilson, Diamond the Shields, and you know, a lot of people have thought Gabby Williams might go before her. I I don't think that's going to happen. If I had to, and and obviously we're talking about this WNBA. Uh, Mock draft um, as the as the Sparks have just beat the Mystics ninety five sixty two, Candace Parker with twenty one point seven rebounds, a uh, really good game from her. But um, if I have to say my first five off of the board this year, I probably have I do have like three UConn people in it because I'm I'm going to Zora Stevens. Diamond to Shields, Gabby, uh, Kelsey Mitchell, Gabby Williams, and uh, Nafisha Collier. I mean that no that's that's that that's look like what's gonna be what's gonna be it. I mean, uh, and you know, then, based on and they were not acting based on how good they are, you know. I mean, and honestly, this is this draft is going to be something else, man. I, you know, I, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because obviously it's a, a little ways away because we still have to go through the uh, season, the college season. But as the WNBA season comes to an end, a lot of people are looking at the lottery, um, and you know, it's going to look like it's looking like the it's looking like San Antonio is going to be back at one, um, Chicago. Might be at two or three. It depends. Listen, man. Here's here are players that we're talking about going in the second round. We're talking about Kia Nurse. We're talking about um, Ariel Atkins uh, from Texas. We're talking about uh, we're talking about um, what's the kid from Oklahoma State, the center uh, Jensen. Um. Shaquilla Thomas from Florida State, um, Victoria Vivian, Vivian from Ole Miss. You know, this this draft is going to be stressful, and I think this is going to be the draft that makes WNBA teams invest in scouting departments. Either, either bring, either bring a, you know, somebody on staff or hire an external scouting service. But this is going to be a drive because there's going to be a lot of misses. I'm predicting you right now. There's going to be a lot of misses. You know, um, I'm already predicting a a few um, from the Big Ten and, and, uh, and the MAC that people are just going to miss. And 
when those players catch on, that's when that's when that's what's going to make teams hire um, either scouts on staff or external scouting services. Um, because obviously everybody's budget isn't like that, where you can just bring somebody on staff full time. Um, but this is going to be the drive that drives people to do it. No, this draft. No, this this draft is going to be kind of nuts. It's going to be one of the best drafts we've seen in the last few years. And no, I, I think teams are are really going to start considering, if not just you know, you know, bypass considering just straight up hire, you know, scouting directors and you know, you know, or hire services, you know, to go to these games and and, and watch. You know, watch these women because this drive is too deep. And then I and I think, you know, down the line it's going to be like this, you know, almost every year. So why not start now? Because like you said, the the, the way this is going, I think the MAC is going to get deeper. You know, there's a couple of teams in the MAC that has really legit pro players. You look at um, the Big Ten, and you look at some of these other, you know, the Big East, you know, some of these, you know, borderline high major conferences. Hey, the, the WNBA should should really consider getting some scouting directors or higher services because you know it's only going to get. And I say it's in a good way. It's only going to get worse. They, you know, now you know you're going to have to have boardroom meetings and. You know, like you know, five or six board. Okay, if she goes here, we'll taking you know we're taking her or you know, however we need to trade up and blah blah blah. You know, really really go deep into it. Um, Darren. Well, while we're waiting for Darren to get back on, I think something's wrong with Michael. Um, don't forget last last second shot the magazine for our Michigan people. You know, our, uh, prep um followers. Last second shot the magazine coming in a couple months. Looking at early November. For the release of it, for for the printout, hey, quality magazine, quality magazine. I think think my brother Darren said, "Who girls on steroids?" You know, we're you know I like to call it the re, you know, "Who girls the remix." We use the younger version. You know, really quality, nothing on construction paper, anything like that. You know, real quality stuff at at a quality price. And we're not looking for a come up or nothing like that. No, this is just this is just about the kids getting some more, you know, some more exposure. You know, we've done highlight tapes, we do these shows. Hey, why not do a magazine that's dedicated to them?
Colin, also good luck to the team, to the individual programs that, you know, are overseas playing, you know, in Italy and, you know, uh, Taiwan, you know, like Maryland and uh, Georgia Tech and um, UConn and, and, and Duke, you know. Those, the, I think those components. Yo, are you back? Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to get it all worked out. Yeah, no, I was plugging in with the magazine, you know, and I was just wishing, you know, sending, sending love out to the to the programs, you know, that's overseas right now doing their thing, you know, like Maryland, Georgia Tech, you know, Duke, you know, UConn. You know, I think, you know, I think those, I think those overseas, you know, scrimmages or um, little tournaments or whatever, you know, where our, you know our, our programs over here going to play folks teams over there. I think those, are, that's a good experience. Um. For you know, for for these for these college programs, you know, to get you know really ready for the season, really just pro you know pro talent, you know, really see what that that the pro game is like, see what the, the overseas game is like as well, though. You know, for those who don't make the you know the U, you know under nineteen or U eighteen or under twenty three um, teams, it's still a good chance, you know, a good opportunity for the, for them with their program to go over there and play. You know some of those same teams. You know some of that same talent. Yeah, yeah, man. I had some mic issues over here. We got them all fixed. So, um, yeah. Now the over the overseas thing, man, is really dope um, to see. I think, I think, man, when our colleges go over there and beat the uh, beat those teams. You know, it's always fun because they have this conversation just about every year um, in football. And sometimes they have it in basketball. Do you think, you know, they, they'll ask, like, do you think Alabama could beat this year? It'll probably be the New York Jets. Or they'll ask, do you think Kentucky can beat whoever? And obviously, our women's teams uh, go over there. And they uh, they beat they beat uh, some pro teams. Um, do you think UConn could beat a WNBA team? They could be with with the uh, Azura Stevens transfer. They could they could be in the the crew class they bring in. I I put them down. They beat the San Antonio Stars by seven. I think they can give the San Antonio Stars about seven. I'm I'm gonna be honest here. UConn on the East. This is my honest opinion. And here for background, I've always said every time the question is asked that Alabama would lose to any NFL team they played. I've always said that Kentucky will lose to any NBA team they play every time. I think you kind of beat maybe five or six teams in the WNBA. I don't think they can just beat the worst teams. I think this UConn team right now could get on the court with the 
few WNBA teams, and it wouldn't be pretty. I don't think it. I don't think it would be particularly. Uh, but I'm not saying it's blowouts, but I mean losing by eight or ten points to a college team is that's bad. It's like being the 17U team on the AAU circuit and losing to 13U. Yeah. No, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's a lot of pride, you know, like, I don't think, you know, a, a, a WWE team would want to lose to a college team. You know, nobody wants to lose, period, but especially somebody, you know, that you have a few, you know, you know, either a couple years on or a lot of years on, you know, and it's probably people out there that would say, oh, no, y'all wrong. You know, it's the same thing that, you know, you said about Kentucky and the NBA and, you know, Alabama and the NFL, like no no college team would be the pro team, you know. Uh, I think it's a couple college teams that could be, you know, out there that could be a couple pro teams. I really do. You're not, and I hate to do this because the stars are are a really good young team. Um, but obviously they're they're very young right now, so they're basically college players. I mean, obviously they can just focus solely on being pro players. You're not telling me UConn can't beat the stars. You can't. You're not telling me that UConn can't beat the Indiana Fever. No, they definitely can. <laughs> and people out there, when Darren says he, he, you know, on you know on the men's you know side of things, he always says no. And I'm I'm the one arguing down like you know what, the same thing he says about you know that he just said about the stars and the field. The same thing I say about the seventy six is hey Kentucky or Duke could probably get them because they're all the same age. And I feel the same way. Yeah. You know, I, the, either in the stars are all the same age. You know, you, yeah, you're wrong. You're, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong about that, though. But that's a different story, and that's a different game. Anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, if you look at the bottom of the WNBA, outside of the Seattle Storm, outside of the Seattle Storm, the Seattle Storm would, would do some strange things to UConn. I got it. I got UConn winning over the sky. I got UConn winning over the dream. I got UConn winning over the fever. I got UConn winning over the stars. I don't. I don't think they stand a chance with the Lynx. I don't think they stand a chance with uh, the Sparks. Um, the Connecticut Sun. God no. The Mystics without Elena Deladon. Um, it's closer than you think. Maybe not a win. Um. They don't win against the Mercury. That would never happen. Diana Taurasi is too she has too much of an ego to, to lose to a college team. <laughs> that would be a one a one woman wrecking crew. Um, and yeah, so give me them winning over the, over the stars, over the fever, over the dream, over the sky, 
And depending on what day it is, maybe the wings. Maybe the wings. I'm not – don't book me for that. But, yeah, they in the WNBA season, they, they could get about 10 to 12 wins. Mm, I could see that. I could see, I will I would say I would say nine or ten. I won't go to I'll say nine or ten. But you know, speaking of you say this particular UConn team, you know, that makes me, you know, go back and you know, if you you know, if y'all been listening to us since we you know, started, you know, this whole movement um, a couple of years ago, we, you know, we know me and Darren love to go back. And we love to, you know, have a little bit of history to, you know, uh, make our points and, you know, just have just fun discussions. When you say this particular UConn team, that makes me think, who you, what team or what era was Gino's best era of UConn basketball? And, you know, was it the Rebecca Lobo, Makisha Sales, or, you know, those teams, or, you know, Diana, Tarazi, Sue Bird, and Swing Cash, or, you know, Tina Charles, Maya Moore, Tiffany Hayes. You know, that, that, you know, a lot of people, you know, we always discuss Tennessee, you know, um, you know, those debates with, you know, who's the best team, but you all know it's the three weeks, but that's too easy to say. But we really don't talk about who was Geno's best team? Who was Geno's best era? Okay. You know, it was it was a more recent with Bruce Stewart, um, Morgan Tug, Mo, Mo Jefferson, and Taylor Lewis. You know, where do we go back? So here here's my here's how I weed it out, right? So he's had how many separate 100 game uh, winning streaks? I think it's been two or three. Three? Three. If you're not a part of that, then if you're not a part of that, then I weed you out automatically. And it sucks because I think some of his best players don't have those winning streaks. But we're just talking about win. We're talking about, like, the the best team, not the most talented team. Got to weed you out. So the best team, the best team, the best team, the best team. Uh, uh, this is hard. I okay. Mm. Mm. I'm gonna take that back. I'm gonna take it back. The best team, in my opinion. Is the 2013-2014 team 40 and 0 just dominant? That's the best season Geno's ever had. Um, that's tough, man. That's tough. I really do want to put Maya's. Uh, I want to put Maya. That's probably the most oh, powerful team. The 2013-14? No, uh, Maya Moore, Tina Charles. 
Myers is definitely the most talented team. But that 2013-2014 team, um, I think they had lost four games the year before. They came back and went 40-0. and Then the next year, 38-1, and another championship. The next year, 38-0, and another championship. And then they finally lose this year. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going with 2013-2014. Okay. I mean, and look. I mean, even look at that 2013-2014 team in the tournament. I mean, obviously they start off with uh, a 16 seed. I think it was Idaho or something like that, and then that got ugly. Um, then they see Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt was supposed to be a better team that year. They beat Vanderbilt by like 30 or so. Maryland. That was that everybody. I think that was like the most picked upset on the bracket, Maryland over UConn. They beat Maryland by a good 20. Um, then, who did they run into next? Kentucky. They played Kentucky next, right? Um, they beat Kentucky by 30. They beat Kentucky by 30. That was the number two seed. Then they saw Notre Dame. Remember, this is a redemption. This is a redemption game. Because they have, you know, that this is in the middle of their rivalry. And then they beat Notre Dame by a good 30, I think it maybe might have been 28 points. And then the final game was Louisville. Yeah, and and they beat Louisville pretty handily by, by 22 points. Was it Louisville? Yeah, it was. Louisville was the number five seed, and they had snuck into the championship. Mm-hmm. They beat they beat them by thirty. They beat them by thirty. Um, yeah, yeah. That's I'm going. Hey, I gotta pick them, man. I gotta pick them. Although, let me say before people jump down my throat. Oh four. 2004 is very, very, very close to being that that top team ever. The the team that had that really good championship win against Tennessee is very close. Mm-hmm. But but uh, the the reason why they're not there for me is just because they they lost eight games that year. No, 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 no. They lost four games that year. They lost eight games the next year. Uh, you know, I, I think to be considered one of the best teams, you got to be one of those undefeated teams. I guess it's my turn to pick now. Um, and I'm going to pose the question. This is still hard, but this is very hard. Um I'm gonna to have to go with. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna to have to go with that 2010 team, man. 39 and 0. You know, Maya Moore, Tina Charles. Um, I think that was Tiffany Hayes' freshman year, if I'm not mistaken, or sophomore year. 
you know, we we as we said earlier, you know, it's probably that that's probably the most talented, you know, the most talented team. Um, you know, just 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 loaded fun to watch. You know, had their own you know, their you know their ninety game win streak and average. I mean, we're being honest about it. That tournament run, that tournament run is is one for day. That's one of Geno's best as well. Um, yes. yes. Temple, Temple, Iowa State, Florida State. I mean, and and they that was like child's play them versus Florida State, and everybody, everybody thought that would be a little bit better. Then they then they ran through Baylor. They ran through Baylor in, in twenty ten, yes. and got to Stanford, yes. and and that was that was a heck of a game. I think we alluded to that uh, last week, where it was like Stanford will always play UConn. Whereas like it's just weird, Stanford kind of has UConn's number where they're they're always gonna play them tough every single time. Now I mean that that thing I mean was just like I said it was loaded and fun to watch. You know mismatches all over the floor, and they ran. I mean like you look at the average margin of victory for that tournament run. Up until um, Taylor, you know, the average margin of forty-seven points. The average margin of victory was forty-seven points. Was it the NCAA tournament? Forty-seven. No, no, was it? Well, up, yeah, up until it has to be. Yeah, up until up until up until Baylor before Baylor. Yeah, because with I mean they put up like a hundred points in the first round. Yeah. Mhm. Um, like I, I said, think until Baylor, until Elite Eight. They, let Let me say this. Points. Let me say this. I am not a person who's for running, not for a person who's scared to compete. But if there was ever one of those sixteen. Uh, seeds who just opted out of the NCAA tournament and said we'll rather go to the NIT. I would understand. Now I wouldn't encourage you, but I would get it. I'd be like, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. What? Yeah, what in them yeah. fifteen seeds who who's like, oh, we got UConn? Mm-mm. Oh no. Nah. Have you ever seen uh? Have you ever seen that meme with Goofy? <laughs> Where he got that blank face and he's like, "Oh no, is it?" <laughs> oh yeah, 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 no, that that's that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that that's that hilarious. would be me. <laughs> that would be me. I'd be like, oh no. No, but take but look at take into account overall who they play. I mean, Temple, Iowa State, Florida State, all historically decent or great programs, and then. And actually, those teams had a nice, a nice, a nice. Those those teams had nice teams that year. Then you run into Baylor, who was hot at that point, and Greedy Griner was on a tear. As a freshman, she was on a tear, and everybody was like, "Oh, that's going to be a problem. How are they going to deal with that?" Because people had deemed Brittany Griner unstoppable. Yeah, they they had they had deemed her unstoppable, and Kim Mulkey 
um, it's just as far as S and O's and how she gets her team to play, they're on the same level as Gino. So that yeah, that that twenty pointer that that sent that sent chills down a lot of people's spines because it was like listen. Yeah. But then we get to the Stafford game and it looks like oh, Stafford know what they doing. No, I mean, it seems like Charles Van Devere has, you know, the 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 perfect counters to what Geno does, to any Geno team, any Utah team. It seems like no matter what, no matter what, we're not going to get ran out of the building. Win or lose, win or lose, a UConn Stanford game is not going to be a blowout. It's not going to be a blowout. Let's leave I need Stanford's coaching staff to call. I mean, I got a kid or two for y'all that could help y'all beat <laughs> UConn again. Give me a call. <laughs> I mean, that that twenty sixteen, you know, was it? Man, that was incredible. That was really incredible. Man. It was a really a argument because they had the two best players in the country, literally. Uh, I'm I'm joking I'm joking right now, but it'd be crazy if we we got off the uh, ended the podcast and, and Stanford really caught me. <laughs> that would be nuts. I would be like, oh, oh y'all y'all for real? <laughs> that would be nuts. Now, no speaking. Man. Okay. No speaking of. Playing UConn tough. What was the best upset of UConn? The best upset of UConn, and again, okay. That you so now this is now this is kind of loaded, right? Because you can. Now, now, are we just going to say the best game or the best upset as in, like, what it meant? Uh, well, either way. Let's either do both. Way, let's, do, let's do both. Well, no, I'm saying either way, both, both to me is the Mississippi State game from last year. Yeah. One, because there – I mean, and we talked about this last week with Sue. It was chatters like, man, UConn's killing the girls' game, woom, woom, woom. But this was the UConn team that people could beat. And if you pay attention to women's basketball, you knew coming into the season that they were a beatable team. Now, I'm on record saying that if you didn't beat them in a regular season, you weren't going to beat them. That's, that's just how I believe in Geno as far as, is being a coach. I, I feel like when he gets to the tournament, he's a different person. But Mississippi State last year, that's that's just a that's just a damn good game. That's a damn all the, from wire to wire, you know, UConn losing and storming back, um, you know, the takeover. Yeah, I I think that's the best upset. I would, as far as what it meant, 
last year's game against Mississippi State, of course, like that, because you know, like we always talk about, everybody, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of the, the naysayers when about, well, oh, UConn's going to win. There's no point in watching them, blah blah blah. But I think now people who probably typically wouldn't watch it is now going to watch because oh, UConn actually got beat. Can they get beat again next year? Now I don't think it's going to happen, but people are going to tune in just to see. Are they going to take a loss this year? Are, are you know they're going to take another loss this year? Are they, are they going to take a couple losses this year? If somebody are teams now, you know, do they see blood in the water? You know, it, it drew people in. You know, it, it made people and it made people stop and say, "Wow, the women's game is actually really fun to watch. It's dramatic. It's entertaining. It's fun. It moved. It moved people." It really moved people to see a whole Twitter timeline talking about that game for those two hours. That game was all that was talked about. Not an NBA game, you know. Not a hockey game. Nothing about you know what you know what trades or whatever went down in baseball or spring training or anything like that. That game was all that was talked about. So as far as what it meant last year, Mississippi State the UConn, that you know that that was probably you know as far as what it meant the best upset. But for me, as far as the most entertaining game, um, I would say the 2011 um, Final Four matchup against Notre Dame. You know, UConn, as you know, that that year they weren't as um, they didn't look as invincible as uh, the previous uh, two years. You know, they were kind of they were they were younger. Tina Charles had graduated and was in the WNBA, and now was all is you know basically all on Meyer's shoulders. But you know. They get back to the final four. So, you know, and everybody everybody had Darren's mindset. Oh, they're back in the final four. They're going to win it then. You didn't get them early, so now they're going to win. They went to Notre Dame, the Big East rival at that time. And uh, Skyler Diggins that had a great tournament. She was making a name for herself. She was always known as a nice player, but she really started to make a name for herself. But everybody still felt that, hey, it's the final four and it's UConn. You know, this may be good, but this is good. This is, you know, UConn's going to win. This is going to be a coronation. But Notre Dame wasn't having it. That game was close. It was, but it was dramatic because you were surprised. I mean, Darren, did anybody really, did anybody really outside of maybe you and me, you know, that we know, like, did anybody really have Notre Dame making the final four that year? No. No. Skyler, Skyler wasn't the attention attract uh, tr- attention attraction that she is now, um, or that she was like in her last two seasons by then. So, no, nobody did. No, and it was surprising they even got there. Now you're watching this game and it's, oh they're oh they're not playing oh they're they're serious oh they're giving you kind of everything they can handle. 
you know, even though my boy ended up with 36 and was very dominant that game, it was the first time, really the first time we've seen somebody match what she was doing, especially in the late in the game. Skyler really matched whatever Maya was doing. Maya would score, would go on a run, and score eight straight. And then two minutes later, you know, I think Skyler had a run of like, you know, seven straight. I mean, she was late in that game, it was really, you know, move for move, bucket for bucket, back and forth. And then Notre Dame pulled away late because their others, Devin Will Peters, um, I mean, um, Brittany Mallory, I think, I just moved on that team. I, I, I maybe date myself. I mean, she may have been the year after, but those others really stepped up. The shooters, you know, really knocked down shots at key moments where you saw the youth of UConn, of that UConn team show and rear and, you know, his head a little bit. That was probably the most entertaining game. That's probably the best game. As far as the UConn upset, that was the best game. To me, that was a bad game. That was really fun to watch. I'll never – first off, I'll never forgive Gino for not going zone. I, I thought he should have zoned Notre Dame because he, he was just being very stubborn trying to play the man up for most of that game. And it, it was just like, come on, man. Two, and this is two, reincarnate the Big East, man. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, the that, Big the East, 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 just as far as the basketball conference, I mean, if, if you're more into women's or men, the Big East had decades where they were just the flat-out best conference ever. I mean, not ever, but, you know, in periods, in decades. And it's a shame, you know, what happened to the conference. Um, I also do think while we're on the topic of UConn, um, and probably wrapping up the podcast, UConn needs to be in a bigger conference. And I, and I know how this sounds, but, you know, obviously the school doesn't change just because of their their women's basketball team. Obviously their, their men their men have won a national in the last decade, or so as well. There's no reason that UConn should be playing Cincinnati and Tulsa and those schools. Move move UConn to the ACC. Hey, the Big Ten will take them. I I just yeah. think they need to be look yeah they need to be looking for a new conference and soon. Um, and, and obviously UConn is, women's basketball is never going to struggle to get kids as long as Gino Ariyama is there and even after Gino was gone um, it's so crazy that this same you know 
we keep changing conversations, but it keeps coming back to the things we talked about the show before. Um, even if Gino leaves, the history is so big at UConn. What Gino has done, it, the history will never fall to the wayside like it did with Louisiana Tech. Or, you know, that's just, I, I see that being very unlikely. So, you know, obviously the conference doesn't matter when it comes to recruiting kids, but Jesus, is anybody in the AAC getting fed up? Uh, I would be. And I know I know for a fact that a lot of AAC schools use we play UConn as a recruiting point. So UConn, no, isn't only, their name isn't only helping – them get kids. Is it helping the other schools get kids? But come on, man. This is this is getting to be ridiculous. No, yeah, no, yeah. This it, it is getting ridiculous. I mean, when you look at at the AC, the AAC, you know, there's not a very big schools there. You know, and you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of mid-major flux. You know, you know, borderline high major. You know, whatever you want to, you know, state, you know, state, you know, state, state that ass, whatever you want to call them. But you know, like you said, they use a we play UConn. You know, to get a chance to you know be on TV for UConn. But you know, some competitive kids and they say, well, I'm gonna go and. You know, just because we play UConn, I mean, that's not a good enough reason to go, okay, we play UConn and what, get blew out by 40 in national TV? You know, a lot of, you know, especially, you know, they want to attract some, you know, some high major talent, you know, using the the, the we play UConn sale actually, actually probably works better for bigger schools. Like a Tennessee or a South Carolina, Florida State, Notre Dame, something like that. You know, schools like that. That probably works better for them because they actually have a chance at competing with UConn. Nobody, honestly, you know, honestly, honestly, it's it's weird. It's, this is just very weird. The makeup of the AAC. Um, East Carolina, Houston, Tulsa. Memphis, Cincinnati, SMU, Tulane, uh, UCF, USF, um, and then you have Temple and UConn. Geographically, it it doesn't even make sense. I mean, that's number one. Number two, after naming all of those schools, just taking the location out of it, which one seems like the odd one out? That's, that's, listen, and I'm never going to take anything away from from Gino R.E.M.'s career. Never going to take anything away from UConn as being one of the best sports dynasties in any sport ever. Period. But the naysayers who come along Years later, when Geno was retired, just like they just like they do now with Michael Michael Jordan, and say, "Who did he play against?" 
which, I mean, some people might say that's a valid argument. Some people might say it's not. You know, not here to get into that debate. But just like that has happened, people are going to come along, and when Gino, when Gino's name or when UConn's name gets brought up as one of the better sports dynasties ever, people are going to say, well, what conference did they play in? They had an easy conference schedule. It was too easy for them. And, I mean, obviously I, I know switching conferences just because of somebody's legacy or the perception of their legacy is – that's very vain and shallow. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, obviously that's not the main reason you want to switch. But, I mean, even if you look at it from a money standpoint, what can the AAC offer you that maybe a Big Ten or ACC can't offer you? No, nah, I mean, yeah, that doesn't really make, you know, the, AC, the AAC for UConn doesn't really make a lot of sense. I really, I think UConn really benefits more off there. When we talk about who they play against, we're, we're going to talk about their non-conference schedule rather than their conference schedule. We're going to, you know, we're you know we're yeah. not going to talk about, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not going to talk about the great conference battles you know, uh, like I said, unless you unless you're talking about from you know before the Big East dissolved, you know then you can talk about that. But you talk about you know post Big East, we're not going to talk about their conference battles. You know, like like another game has to you know last and kind of really switch from the Big East to now the ACC, which is probably the best conference in the country. We're still going to talk about those conference battles. We're still going to talk about Tennessee's conference battles. You know, South Carolina and I and, we're gonna talk about those battles. And and obviously this is this is more height and I feel like they need to look for a different conference more obviously because Louisville left. Louisville went to the A C C. And now it's just I mean, Temple is good. I like Temple a lot. Um but that's that's their biggest competition. At least when Louisville was there, you could always say, hey, this is a we, – we're for sure to play a top 15 team every year. You know, and you can't say that anymore. And obviously Louisville made a, a decision for the betterment of their university. I just think UConn um, – obviously football is the big draw as far as money. So UConn's team isn't – um, their football team isn't particularly that great, um, you know, to be that attractive to these other conferences. But when you look at their men's team uh, with Kevin Ole running the show um, and, and them always being a threat to, to get to a national championship, obviously Shabazz not walking through those doors or, or Napier, he's not walking through those doors. But you have that on your resume in very recent years, two years ago, right? Yes, two years, years ago. So no, three years ago. Okay, three years ago. You can use that to get to a, a a better conference if you wanted to. Now I don't know what the AAC payout looking like, but I do know they don't got that big ten bad. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. You know, and just looking at, you know, just reminiscing about the Big East. 
you know, I'm gonna read you all the the, the the name. I mean, like, these some of these teams are still doing very well now. You know, obviously UConn, DePaul, still a great program. Notre Dame, still a great program. Rutgers, they're you know, we're building right now, but historically great. They're not good. They're they're not good. <laughs> I was trying to be a little nicer, but you know, um, Marquette coming off a couple uh, NCAA tournament um, appearances the last uh, couple years with great records. Louisville, still good. Syracuse, still good. They're coming off a Final Four appearance a couple years back. St. John's, still good. West Virginia's decent. Providence, Pittsburgh, South Florida, Villanova, Cincinnati, Seton Hall. That was, I mean, you think about how, most of those programs that I name are still doing very well. You know, and then geographically it made sense. It was perfect. And we used to, it, I mean, it, I, I know, and Darren did it. We used to tune in and watch. I remember some weekends we'd be together and we, you know, we would just be in front of the TV and it'd be a big, it'd be like three Big East games on and we would be in the, in the TV moving six watching all Big East games. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, I, I think it's a shame that that, that that conference had to break up over um over football. Um but obviously, you know, the conference if you paid attention, the conference just couldn't handle football. Some colleges the colleges that left weren't willing to part with their football teams as um they shouldn't, um, because football is a huge draw for universities and provide a lot of money uh for universities and you know you know, it's it's sad uh, that the money can be so prevalent, but you know that's the world we live in. So, you know th- that is what it is. But my closing remarks for you know that segment is, UConn needs to find something else to do because I don't want to watch them play Tulsa again. I don't want to watch them play the University of South Florida again, not the University of Central Florida. Um, Temple, I'll take it. Not really gung-ho about it, but, you know. Would I like to see them play Maryland twice a year? Yeah. Would I like to see Ohio State get a crack at them a few times a year? Yes. Um, Do they run through a lot of conferences, a lot of big-time conferences, Definitely. They still have that success. I mean, they went 40-0 and 0, uh, one year, and they only had 16 conference games. So that's still 24 out-of-conference games who most of those opponents are ranked that they win. So, you know, I, I still think whatever conference they're in, they dominate, but obviously it's a little better. Yeah, it's a little better. I mean, you know, better packages, you know, and whatever, you know, whatever conference UConn goes to. I I think in some ways the draw of their women's basketball is is undervalued or probably underappreciated because really, you know, like you said, the men's team is always 
too good, and they're always a threat in the tournament, and they're always a threat to you know, especially when you have really talented teams, they always they're always a threat to win it. But the women's team is actually the main draw on that campus. This makes me wonder. Yeah. This makes me wonder. Now Texas, um, and I don't know how how much people pay attention. The University of Texas at one point in time were talking about having their own network. We know how all the conferences started launching their own networks. The University of Texas gets a huge bag because they're Texas. It makes me wonder, is the U, is UConn getting a different type of bag than everybody else in the AAC? So is that why they chilling? Because <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, you know. Don't quote me on that. And, you know, a lot of those finance things are becoming less and less uh, – public or it's becoming harder to access obviously UConn being a state university that information uh, I don't want to say it's easy to obtain but it's it's easier to obtain uh, you know because of a freedom of information act but uh, yeah maybe UConn's bag is a little different than everybody else's It might be. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I mean, definitely. You know, they are the UConn. They are UConn. <laughs> I was just gonna say they they are UConn. So I wouldn't be surprised in the, in the least bit if if somebody told me, yeah, UConn, UConn got a a, a very different bag than us. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yep. It would make a lot, makes of, a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense. You know, it, it would really explain why they, you know, they can just sit back and chill in the AAC. Like, I mean, there here. hasn't even there hasn't been even been rumors of them leaving the AAC. You know how like every time there's there's usually like every four years there's how oh, this conference is looking to expand. It's never been, yeah, you kind of looking to move up. <laughs> never. Not once. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. But with all of that being said, this is the Last Second Shot Podcast. Hey, listen, man, uh, as Eric was talking to y'all about earlier, we got the Last Second Shot magazine coming at you. Um, we really buckling down, getting down to the nitty-gritty. Um Got a, uh, I'm, I finished the first column that's going to be on the magazine. And um, we got a lot more planned for you. Uh, the Atlanta tape just dropped from our time in Atlanta. Make sure you go to our YouTube and check that out. Subscribe, retweet, share, do all of that. We're trying to, we're trying to make all of our videos go viral, okay? Okay. And um, follow Eric on Twitter at quiet underscore storm 30 follow me on twitter sports spoken real and follow the podcast page at last second shot underscore um y'all be blessed that's all i got what you got eric i just want to say thank you again all the supporters and you know all the uh viewers and haters too you know if y'all out there um you know we love y'all too but i don't please 
I love everybody. You know, that's why it, we're, that's why it's balanced. You know, we're the perfect match. You know, to be working together and doing stuff like this. Oh, uh, but no, thank you and um, please watch the company you keep and the crowd you bring. Please keep that in your mind. I say that for a reason. I had a very interesting. Eric, I had a very interesting day today. Eric saying this because he's wild. So sometimes when y'all don't see us in the gym together. Is because like Eric is, you know, Eric is El Chapo. I ain't gonna hold y'all up. I'm far from the black. I'm too much of a small. He's the black Detroit version of El Chapo. I I had to tell y'all about the time the time in Ann Arbor that one time, but anyway. Whoa. <laughs> Nah, but uh, y'all be blessed. We gonna holler at y'all next week. Yes, sir. Cool. <sighs>